Jesus, we thank you for the time once again to come together and get into your word. And we know, Lord, this isn't a, a, just about hearing a message. This is about growing in our relationship with you, God. So we ask that we uh, would hear from you, that, that you, the living God, would speak to us. And we know you want to speak to us, oh, Lord. You love us and you want, us to give, you want to give us uh, direction because you want to lay the path uh, that we should walk down. Uh, Lord, and we just, uh, we love you so much, and we just ask that you would bless this service by the power of your spirit and guide us in your truth, in your name, amen. All right, short little recap, we know that David has been running from Saul for quite some time, Saul can never seem to catch up to David. Then we look back at 1 Samuel chapter 23 where David goes to Keilah to fight for these people and these people end up basically ratting him out to Saul once again. So Saul is basically running around on this wild goose chase seeking David. And we see this contrast thing once again go on between David and Saul. Throughout the text, David is constantly seeking God while Saul is constantly seeking David. We see that David is being directed by God because he's seeking God while Saul ultimately is being led by his impulses. And he's just making carnal, emotional decisions. And it's literally leading him to, to live a life where he's running in circles, hitting dead ends, accomplishing nothing. And that's what we talked about last week. We basically have choices to make throughout the day, throughout our lives. Are we going to be directed by God? Are we going to do it God's way, pursue Him? him seek him listen to him and follow his direction or are we going to do it our own way and just uh, live off of how i feel in the moment and and try to you know uh, fulfill these these impulses and this instant gratification that i have we see there are rewards and consequences depending on which route we go and we see david because he was directed by god he received a reward what was that reward? Well, in the last chapter, basically, he was delivered from Saul and God protected David from Saul time and time again. Where Saul, he had to face the consequences. He's wasting time. He's wasting effort. He's wasting energy. Literally, his life is absolutely purposeless because he's not seeking God and he's not looking to God for direction. As we get into 1 Samuel chapter 24... As we begin to read in the beginning, you guys probably know the story, <laughs> but it's going to appear, it's going to seem like the moment we've all been waiting for, right? David is going to become king. We know that. He's already been anointed king. It's just a matter of time. David gets a chance to take Saul out. Is he going to do it? Well, see this opportunity really isn't an opportunity. It's actually a test from God to see how David is going to respond. God is going to test David to see if David will walk through God's will, God's way, or if he'll try to accomplish things in his flesh, his own way. See, God's will is that David would receive the kingdom, but it's got to happen God's way. And this is the title of the teaching, Yahweh's will, Yahweh's way. Yahweh's will, Yahweh's way. Yahweh, just another name for God. 
we will see God has a will, but he has a certain way that he wants us to walk in his will. And we'll see God do just that and teach David just that in this chapter. First Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that he was that it was told him, saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Remember, God used the Philistines to distract Saul at the end of the last chapter. Saul was coming after David. He was getting close. Now the Philistines are attacking. Saul has to turn around with his army to go fight the Philistines. God used the Philistines literally to deliver David. So now we got these other people. They come and they tell Saul where David is hiding. This is the wilderness of in Getty, we don't know who's ratting David out this time, uh, but someone continues to rat David out. Sometimes it tells us who it is. Sometimes it doesn't. Continuing on, 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 2. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. Just when it appears that David's in the clear, here comes Saul again. At the end of the chapter, God just delivered David once again. Saul's back fighting the Philistines. But what do you know? Lo and behold, here comes the enemy once again. And this is so true in our lives in the context of spiritual warfare. We may have seasons when we're in it and seasons when we're not in it. But we can rest assured when there are seasons that we're not in it, The enemy's coming around the corner again. He's going to come again. Spiritual warfare, it doesn't happen all the time, but it will continue to happen the rest of our lives. Just when we think peace, calm, everything's good, we never know. Right around the corner, the enemy can come again. That's exactly what happens in this text as Saul continues to come after David. See, Saul hasn't learned his lesson God has made it so obvious that he can't have David. No, Saul, you want David, but you can't have him. I'm protecting David. This thing that you want, I'm not going to give it to you. But Saul keeps returning to his folly. It says this in Proverbs chapter 26. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, it says, As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. He keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. What is this called? It's insanity, right? It's insanity. I'm going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And maybe this time things will turn out differently. Maybe my circumstances will be a little bit better this time. I'm going to keep doing the same thing, knowing this thing is harming me, knowing it's not helping me, knowing that this is really living a life of purposelessness. I'm running in circles. I'm heading dead ends. But this time it's going to be different. This is the mentality that Saul has. And this is the mentality that we sadly often and fall into we seek things that we think are going to satisfy us and they end up disappointing us and not only that it wastes our time it wastes our life it wastes our effort it wastes our energy so ultimately we live this life life of of insanity that's exactly what we see Saul doing in this text first Samuel chapter 24 verse 3 so we came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. 
David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So in the new king, or sorry, in the King James version, um, this says something different. Basically, what we see is that Saul has to use the restroom. Okay, so he goes to the bathroom in this specific cave. What are the odds that Saul would have to use the bathroom at the same time that he's walking by a cave where David and his men are hiding out? This is obviously not coincidence, right? God's hand is all over this. There's no way that this is happening by chance. And it's interesting, it's fascinating to me that God would use a bathroom break to get across this deep message that Saul needs to understand and needs to learn. That's something to think about. Your next bathroom break could be a divine appointment. It literally could. You never know. God will use anything. God will use everything. Uh, and I'll, oh my gosh, I wasn't even thinking about this. This just came to mind. In fact, I've had one of these before. <laughs> so there was a time period where we were, um, uh, this is when I was a believer. We were living, uh, we were homeless for three days. It was, a, it was a challenge, okay? So I was in downtown Fort Lauderdale. Not a great place where you want to be homeless, but we're homeless. Uh, we were given $200 to go do ministry. So that's all we got. We, we got the $200. It's not just for us to eat. It's for, uh, for doing ministry. And uh, we were, we, <laughs> the, the, I think the second day or something, like we're literally sleeping on the streets. I remember one night we slept in this, uh, um, this field and the sprinklers came on and were spraying on us. The cops are telling us, you guys are fools. You shouldn't be staying out here, yada, yada, yada. But a lot of cool stuff happened. And, and one of the interesting things happened to happen in the bathroom. And uh, I actually, uh, I go into this bathroom uh, because we're getting ready to, to, to take a bus to go to church, okay? So we're going to take this bus uh, uh, to go to church that morning. And so I go to the bathroom and I look like a mess. I look like I'm homeless. So so I kind of like do my hair, you know, wash my face, look somewhat presentable. Uh, and while I'm doing this, I see this guy come in with a bottle um, that's almost empty and he, and he throws it in the trash can. He's like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not drinking anymore. And I'm like, bro, you don't have to drink anymore. And I was able to have a good conversation with this guy and I started sharing the gospel with him. Well, as I'm sharing the gospel, I hear this noise from the bathroom stall going, amen, brother. Amen. Preach it, brother. Preach it. I'm like, thanks for the encouragement, right? But I saw you could see under the bathroom stall that this guy was in a wheelchair. Okay. He's in a wheelchair. And I'm like, okay, uh, whatever. Didn't really think much to, of it. Later on that afternoon, when we got back from church, we, we got connected to this ministry uh, to be able to share the gospel and pass out food and all these different things. And all of a sudden, I see this guy coming up on a wheelchair. And I hear him talking to somebody. I, go, I recognize that voice. And uh, this guy, I remember his name. His name was Don. And I, and I got to have this conversation with him. And it was so powerful. He got out of prison just recently. He was going through a rough time where he's like, man, I know I'm called to do worship. I'm called to lead worship. And, and so I start praying for this guy. He's like, I want to lead kids in worship. And literally, as I'm praying for this guy, this group of kids walks by and they're they're a worship team and they're singing worship and it's like dude wait a minute we're just praying for this and here comes these kids with with that are singing worship this seems like a clear sign from god that that this is confirmation that you are supposed to do this thing powerful amazing conversation the point is god will use bathroom breaks he, he absolutely will man i forgot about that that was a very very fun powerful time first samuel Chapter 24, verse 4. Then the men of David said to him, 
This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. See what the men say to David. They said, The Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy. Did God actually say this? Did He communicate this to him? He could have. David's a prophet. He could have communicated to David that, hey, I am going to deliver uh, deliver uh, uh, your enemy to you. He, he could have said that. Or the guys could have looked at this circumstance and said, God's saying this. It's obvious, right? He's delivering your enemy. We don't know for sure. Regardless of what was said exactly, these words don't apply to this circumstance because that's not what God is doing. And these men are misinterpreting what God is doing in this text. This is the first point. Beware of misinterpreting Yahweh's way. Beware of misinterpreting Yahweh's way. God is not delivering Saul to David. This is a test. David is not supposed to kill Saul in this setting. Now, this can happen in so many different ways in our lives, but it also happens in Scripture. In Acts chapter 21, we see Saul of Tarsus, named Paul, he knows that he's called to Jerusalem. Jesus told him that he's called to Jerusalem and then ultimately to go to Rome. So his disciples that are seeking the Lord, they get some direction from Jesus. And look what they say in Acts chapter 21, verse 4. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Wait a minute. If God told them... To go to Jerusalem. And these guys are telling him not to go to Jerusalem. What, 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 what's going on here? What's the problem here? Basically, as you read later into the text, we see that, that Saul's going to suffer, Paul is going to suffer in Jerusalem, ultimately suffering uh, in Rome as well. But what likely happened was the Spirit said, hey, if, if Saul, if Paul goes here to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer. And the guys, the disciples took it as, oh my gosh, he's not supposed to go. But that's not necessarily true. He was supposed to go. The point is, sometimes we can misinterpret what God's saying. He can speak a truth into our life and we can take it as something totally different. That's exactly what the guys are doing in this text. I'll tell you an embarrassing story. Um, so this one time we were in uh, North Carolina, Carolina on this retreat just before a term. Uh, and Pastor Chet's like, hey, man, I want you guys to really be praying for the ministry in this season and the church. And, and he gave us some things. And he's like, I really want you to seek the Lord and see what you get. So I go to, to read the word. And uh, basically between my devotions, I, I landed on two stories that connected. It was when Elijah got caught up to heaven and left Elisha. OK, so the leader's gone. Now it's given to the next guy. And then the other one was when John the Baptist got beheaded. Okay, so in both these stories, the theme is that the leader's gone. Okay, so I tell Pastor Chet, I'm like, bro, I think something might happen to you. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but like, I, I got these two things. I was praying. I believe I was in the spirit. And, 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 and we see in both of these texts that the Lord led me, like, the leader's gone. He's out. So PC always took it as, 
Tanner said I'm going to be beheaded. That's never what I said. I didn't say he was going to be beheaded. But interestingly enough, that same year, in that same season, was when Pastor Bob Coy fell and was no longer the leader of the church. So me and PC have talked about it before. It's like, that's probably what God was telling us, that a leader was going to be gone and another leader was going to have to take his place. The point is we can misinterpret what God's saying to us. We can take it the wrong way. It's so important for us to be clear on what we're hearing. And if we're not sure on what we're hearing, that's okay too. Time will tell what the truth actually is. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 5. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's rope. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David, as we saw in the verse before, he cut off a piece of the robe of Saul's uh, garment, uh, 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 actually a a piece of cloth from his robe. And and some wonder, like, how could David do something like this? How how could David get away with that? Like, come on, if you pull on my shirt, I'm going to know you're falling on my shirt. First of all, this is a bigger robe, right? And some say that 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 possibly Saul had dropped his his garment, his robe before he used the bathroom in the cave and and David cut it off like that. Or we see later on, which we'll see in a couple weeks that in chapter 26, that David is very slick. He's very sly. He's very sneaky. He's like a ninja. Either way, it doesn't really matter. David cut off the piece of the robe of uh, the, the piece of Saul's robe. And what's more significant than that is that his heart was troubled. His heart wasn't troubled that he attempted to kill Saul. His heart was troubled that he cut off his rope. Like this is the level of conviction that David has. Oh my gosh, I've, I've, I've dishonored the king by cutting this little piece of garment off of his robe. We see the level of conviction in David and it's absolutely inspiring. But he learned something he knew because of what was spoken to his heart, that the Lord forbid that he should do this thing to his master. Now, when you look at this, it seems obvious, right? Anyone reading the story before David says this, okay, God brought Saul right in front of you, vulnerable, using the bathroom, just stick him, just get get it done with. God obviously set this thing up, or so it would appear. See, for David to kill Saul in that moment, that would have been the easy way to take over the kingdom. But Yahweh's way is not the easy way. And this is point number two. Yahweh's way is not the easy way. The easiest way. Yahweh's way is not the easiest way. In fact, Jesus tells us that precisely in Matthew chapter 7, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, He says, enter the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. God's way is difficult. God's way is narrow. He's not saying it's easy. In fact, he's saying it's harder. Many people go the broad way, the easy way, the, 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 the fulfilling the desires of our flesh way. There, there are few that 
go down the narrow path, God's path. See, it's not enough just that we do what God's calling us to do. We got to do it the way God's calling us to do it. He's got a way and his way is difficult. His way is narrow. His way is precise. See, God, ultimately, he's going to fulfill his will, his way, not our way. And our job is to position ourselves and wait on the Lord and and look to the Lord, be directed by the Lord to see which way is God's way, which way is the narrow path. Yeah, I can take the easy way out, but is that God's way? He says that it's not his way. See, this was an opportunity or so it appeared. This was an open door or so it appeared. But every door that appears to be open isn't necessarily open from the Lord. See, there are opportunities that will come and go. And sometimes those open doors are actually a test from God. They're not an opportunity from God. So how do we know the difference? Well, you see what happens here. It says that David was troubled in his heart because he's intimate with God. He knows what God desires from him in this circumstance, that he's not to slay the Lord's anointed. See, the enemy will always try to give us the easy way out. And when we're listening to the enemy and not listening to God, we'll take the easy way out. We'll, 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 we'll take the shortcut. The shortcut's a temptation. And the enemy... He did the same thing with Jesus when he tried to tempt Jesus. Remember in Luke chapter 4? He said, bro, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Just take it. Bow down to me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. God's will was that Jesus ruled over all the kingdoms of the world. But God's will, his way, was not that that Jesus would bow down to Satan. God's way was the cross for Jesus. This is how you're going to rule the entire nations. This is how you're going to rule over the kingdoms of the earth. It was a difficult way. Jesus' way is the cross. Yahweh's way is the cross. It's the narrow way. It's the difficult way. It is not the easiest way. So David, his heart is troubled and the Lord speaks to him. The Lord forbid that I do this thing. It appears that the Lord spoke to his heart. But wait a minute, doesn't it say in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things? Who can know it? But sometimes the Lord speaks to our heart. So, 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 so how do we know when we're being deceived by our hearts and, and when the Lord is troubling our hearts to get something across to us? It comes down to intimacy with the Lord. God speaks to the hearts that are set on him. When our hearts are set on him and we're having clear vision and, and, and really uh, nothing in the way, nothing hindering that direction that the Lord's given to us, he will sometimes speak to our hearts. We got to be careful. We obviously always have to compare it to scripture. Always wise to get spiritual counsel. But there is a truth that God will speak to our hearts. Got to be careful because the heart can be wicked and deceitful above all things. In this text, God is speaking to David by troubling his heart. And David, he knows what to do. What David didn't do was listen to his friends, okay? And his friends are great dudes, right? They're, I mean, they're outcasts and there's trouble, but, but they love David. They're loyal to David. These guys are faithful friends and they're telling David, you need to take this guy out sometimes, Our friends can have really good intentions in giving us good direction, but it may not be the direction from the Lord. And who am I going to listen to in that moment? 
Am I going to listen to what I know the Lord's speaking to me? Or am I going to listen to my friends? We always have to listen to the Lord. Your friends, sometimes they have good intentions, sometimes they don't. Regardless, they don't always know what's best for you and specifically what the Lord wants from you. So David, he won't slay the Lord's anointed. Why? Because he is the anointed. Saul was the king that was placed over David's life. He was the authority that God placed in David's life. He was a corrupt authority figure. And, and really looking at it practically, it seems like David has a, uh, every right to kill him, right? This guy's been trying to kill him several times, throwing spears, hunting him down, the whole deal. But David doesn't do it because he respects and honors the authority that God placed in his life. See, God was testing David to see if David would truly trust God. Will you do what you know to do, even if it doesn't make sense to you? Will you continue to submit to this guy, even when he's out to kill you? Or will you disobey? Will you sin? Will you get off the narrow path? Will you be disobedient to my word and take the easy way out? See, this was a a, a test of trust for David. God, for him to make his man, the chosen king, the rightful king of Israel, there had to be trust and trust like no other. Think about it. This this guy's out to kill you and God says, let him, leave him, leave him be. Let him alone. Don't do anything about it. I got him. I got the guy. You don't have to worry about the guy. I got the guy. This was a level of trust. That had to be found by David in his relationship to God, with God so that he could become the king that God wanted him to be. First Samuel chapter 24, verse 7. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So David, it says, he restrained his servants with these words. David is being restrained by God's words and he's restraining men because he's listening to God's words. It's not like David, because he's such a mighty warrior, is going to take out all four, six hundred of these guys. It's his words. And his words have power because he's submitting to God's word. Meaning, often when we're living lives submitted to God's word, being restrained by God's word, it rubs off on the people around us. Not every time, but a lot of times it does. Wait, man, this isn't someone that just talks about it. This is someone that lives it. Like they're walking in the world word daily. They're doing their devotions. They're trying to put these things into practice. I see him praying. I see him serving. I see him like that inspires me. I I, want to do some of that. See these men respected David, they restrained their hands to their swords because David was restrained by God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 8. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? David didn't have to do any of this. David could have just been like, let him go. But what does he do? 
he confronts what's in the darkness. Saul's in the darkness. David, because he's walking in the light, he has courage, he has boldness, he knows he's right with God, and he's going to confront the situation. Saul is living in darkness, and and he's going to confront him. Now, he confronts him uh, in a very loving way, which we'll get into in a moment. But one thing he does is he bows down to him. This is humility. This is submission. He could have said, bro, I could have got you, dude. You, you know, I could have got you like I could have I could have shanked you. I, I could have killed you. No problem. He doesn't say that. He, he bows down in humility and says, you're my Lord. OK, I had this chance to kill you, but I didn't because I respect you because I love you. And he asks Saul, why are you listening to the words of men? You know, I've always been faithful to you. See, Saul was being led by his flesh. He was being led by the opinions of other men. And it continued to cause him severe consequences. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 10. Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord. For he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see uh, the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. So David, as we know, he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. But what did this represent? If you remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 15 weeks ago, uh, remember when, when, when uh, Samuel was departing from Saul, he's like, that's the last straw, you're rebellious, uh, God's rejected you, yada, yada, yada. What did Saul do? He grabbed the corner of his garment and he tore it. And, and Samuel, being witty, being quick, inspired by the Spirit, says, you know, just as this, uh, this, this, you've torn this garment or this cloth from my garment, so too will the kingdom be torn from your hand. So we're getting another illustration here. The kingdom is going to be torn from Saul and it's going to be given to David. David has that piece of the kingdom. It connects to 1 Samuel chapter 15. David reassures Saul, he says, I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. David confronted Saul in his sin. He confronted Saul in his sin. But as I mentioned, there was a way he went about doing it. He he did it with humility. He did it with submission. He did it with love. He did it with respect. Now, there are times when, when leaders need to be confronted and, and that doesn't mean that, hey, if you got something to say, say it. But if the Lord's leading you to confront specifically a spiritual leader, you got to make sure you do it the way David did it with love and humility and respect. In fact, if you're going to confront anyone, you should do it with these character qualities. It's not just what you say, but how you say it. It's speaking the truth in love. It's how you package the present. People won't receive the gift unless it looks somewhat presentable right and we're able to package uh present the package based on the way we communicate the message this is exactly what david did he did it with humility he did it with love he did it with respect and the message we'll see was received but look what else david says in first samuel chapter 24 verse 12 
Let the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. It says, let the Lord judge between me and you. This is point number three. Trust Yahweh's way. Trust Yahweh's way. David is completely trusting God. And this proves that. He's not trying to take matters into his own hand because he knows a truth about Scripture. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I'll be the one to avenge you. You don't have to go avenge yourself. I will avenge you. David, he knew that to be true. He knew Dave, uh, uh, God would avenge him. David didn't have to avenge himself. He, himself he, he wasn't taking matters into his own hands. He was putting matters into God's hands. This can be hard to do sometimes. But it's so, so important. We've got to understand what our responsibility is and, and what God's responsibility is. Because the more we try to control our circumstances, the more we mess things up. But the more we allow God to control our circumstances and God to lead us and God to guide us and God work things out for us, the more we're surrendered to and submitted to God, the less we're going to mess things up. It's just a proven fact. The more we get our hands in it, the dirtier it gets. The more things get messed up. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have responsibility. We absolutely have responsibility as far as answering the calling uh, of God's will on our life. There are things that we're called to do, but we need to know what our responsibility is and what God's responsibility is and not think that we can play God in our lives and take over God's responsibility. If we're faithful to walk in the word, do what God asks us to do. He'll take care of the rest. It's exactly what David does. He's faithful to be obedient to the word of God. He trusts God to take care of his side of the deal, if you will. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 13. As the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? He says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. This is like a no-brainer, right? Wickedness proceeds from the wicked. What David is saying is, if I was truly wicked, I would have acted wickedly upon you. But this also could have kind of been like a revealing truth to Saul, right? You're doing wickedly because you're a wicked man. And then David says, like, who are you coming after? A flea, a dog? Like, who am I? Basically, he's saying, I'm no threat to you. And the reason David isn't a threat to Saul isn't because he's not a mighty warrior. He is a mighty warrior. He could take Saul out in a moment if he wanted to. But the reason he's not a threat is because he's fully submitted to God. He says, I won't harm you and I can't harm you because I'm being obedient to the Lord. The Lord doesn't want me to harm you, so I won't harm you. First Samuel chapter 24, verse 15. Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. This is so obvious. That God is in all of this and God is protecting David. And David is trying to help Saul see that God has been protecting him this whole time. Saul would be a fool to not see that God's not going to allow Saul to get to David. This is a battle that cannot be won. 
he goes on, 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 16. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have, how you have dealt with me, have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your your hand. See how David responded to Saul with the love, with the mercy. This is exactly how God would have David respond. And because David responds like that, we see Saul respond with this, what appears to be repentance, which we'll get into in a moment. I want to make the point first. Point number four, Yahweh's way is loving and merciful. Yahweh's way is loving and merciful. See, David's, uh, David's words, they, they, they pierce Saul's heart. If he would have got angry, if he would have got upset, they might have just gotten a fight right then. But that's not what happened. David was speaking inspired by the Spirit with love and mercy, and it truly impacted Saul's heart. This is another truth. And Romans chapter 12 connects to verse 19 that we already discussed, where the Lord says, vengeance is mine. He says this. We'll read both of them. Verse 19 to 20. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heat coals of fire on his head. Do good to your enemy. Love your enemy. David loved his enemy, and it melted his enemy's heart. It melted Saul's heart. Saul responds weeping. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm a horrible man. You're more righteous than me. I deserve to die. And you didn't kill me. You deserve to be the king. You're the rightful heir to the throne. When we extend love and mercy like David does in this text, we can expect to melt the hardest of hearts. We truly can. You never know how that one act or word of love, that one act or word of mercy is going to impact someone. Someone that you would think may never draw close to the Lord. Someone that, that hates you, that's your enemy. You can melt their hearts just by doing it the way Yahweh says to do it. The way of love and the way of mercy. So Saul... He says, I want to reread in verse 20. He says, and now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Saul absolutely knew at this point without a shadow of a doubt that David was going to become king and he should be the next king. Sadly, though, in a couple chapters, we're going to see Saul come back after David again. This repentance, it appears to be sincere, but it's short-lived. So it's ultimately not sincere. And Saul will come after David one last time in chapter 26. But David, or sorry, with Saul, I want to point out something. 
He's confident about something. He's confident that God's working in something. He's confident that that God is protecting David and David is going to be the rightful king. Have you ever been so confident, like you know that you know that you know that God is in something? Like you're so certain, like God is in this, I see him in this. Maybe it's a direction. Hey, I want you to go here. I want you to do this. I want you to get plugged in here. I want you to talk to this. Whatever the case may be. And you know that God told you that. Whether it was through circumstances or the word or worship or a dream or a vision. However, God spoke to you. But then what do you do with it? See, Saul knew something without a shadow of a doubt. That God was in something and he did nothing with it. He did something for a little bit, but then he turned right back to his old ways in just two chapters. See, sometimes we can know for a matter of a fact that God is in something, and we do something about it for a little bit, only just to turn back to the way things used to be, the way we used to live. And we know, looking back, that God was in this thing, but now I'm over here and I should be here because God was with me here, but now I'm here and I I don't know what to do. Get back to what God told you the last time, the thing that you're certain of. Saul knew God was in this situation, did something about it for a moment, then went right back. To how things were beforehand. First Samuel chapter 24. Verse 21. Therefore. Swear now to me by the Lord. That you will not cut off my descendants after me. And that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul. And Saul went home. But David and his men went up. To the stronghold. So Saul wants to make sure his family. His lineage is good, right? Because the custom was you wiped out the whole family, right? Especially the males. You didn't want any of those males raising up and thinking they're uh, the rightful ruler of the kingdom and then they assassinate you and all these different things. And David obviously wasn't that type of guy, but Saul, he wants to make sure that his lineage will live on. And so David says, no, I swear, Saul, that this won't happen. I won't take out your family members. David gave Saul his word, But we'll see, God had other plans, okay? David was sincere when he said this, but God had other plans. And later on, you'll see in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 21, we'll study this in, I don't know, months from now. Uh, But because uh, Saul slaughtered the Gibeonites, we see there's this famine in the land. And and what David, God tells David, hey, you gotta, you gotta make up for this by sending some of Saul's descendants back over there so the Gibeonites, Gibeonites can wipe them out. So he does send seven of, of Saul's lineage uh, males anyways, and, and, and they do end up killing some of them. So uh, as much as David wanted to keep his word, yes, let your yes be yes and your no be no, he didn't realize that God had a different thing going on. David's intentions, however, were pure and they were to protect Saul's family. Now think about this. From getting the chance to kill your rival, the kid, the guy that is out to kill you, you got the opportunity to kill him. Not only do you not kill him, but you tell him, I'm going to make sure your family lives forever too, so they can have a chance to kill me. This was not man's way. This was God's way. This is the fifth and final point. Yahweh's way is not man's way. 
Yahweh's way is not man's way. Like nobody would think of this. Like nobody in their right minds would say, this is a good idea. I'm going to let the, my, the guy that's trying to kill me survive and his whole family so they can come to kill me later. The only way someone would make a decision like this is if they were in a sincere relationship with the Lord and the Lord told them to do this. That's exactly what we see with David. See, Yahweh's way is not always man's way. It's not always our way. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, his, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are, are not our thoughts. His, his, ways and his, or his, his ways and his thoughts are, are far above our ways and our thoughts. We see like this much of the picture, maybe this much. He sees the whole thing. So he gives us direction according to the reality that he knows all things. He sees where we're going to go. He sees what we're going to become. He gives us direction from that. We make these decisions based on this little information, this little amount of knowledge that we have Yahweh's way is not only different than our way but it's better than our way and David knew this David knew that Yahweh's way was the way to go see David he was a man after God's own heart right And he wasn't trying to become the king for position or fame or power or any of these things. He was truly uh, just doing what God was asking him to do. God anointed him as king of Israel. And the reason that he wanted to be the man that he was is because he loved God and he loved people. David absolutely had a heart for, for God. But God is trying to grow David's heart more and more in love with him. So he takes him through these series of tests. Yes, you're in the wilderness. Yes, you have a chance to get kill Saul. But you're not going to. Why? Because God is trying to produce a level of trust in David. The only way David will be a successful king is if he has absolute faith in Yahweh. And not just Yahweh, the way of Yahweh, the way he sees things, the way he does things. If if David starts to do things his way, he's just another Saul. But because he loves the Lord, he's going to choose to do the things the Lord's way. And that's what he says. If you love me, do things my way. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you trust me, follow me even when it doesn't make sense. If you trust me, keep my commandments when, when you don't understand them because my ways and my thoughts are far above yours. Yahweh's will and Yahweh's way will always be greater than ours. But the only way that we'll experience Yahweh's perfect will if we go about doing things Yahweh's perfect way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your way. God, even when we don't get it or or don't understand it or or things don't make sense to us or circumstances or situations, um, even your word sometimes. Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith like you gave David to, to trust in your way and not our own, uh, knowing that, that there's so many rewards for doing things your way. You know the big picture. You know what's going to happen in the future. And you give us direction not to lord over us, but because you love us. 
God, and I just pray that, that we would choose to do just that, that we would choose to do things um, your way, God, and we would, we would reap the benefits of that, that we would see the fruit because you love us and you want uh, amazing things for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.